Welcome back to What Have You. I'm Rachel Jankovic. I'm Becca Merkel. It's almost a beautiful sunset. Well, it's already pretty amazing. It's like a spectacular pre-funk right now. We live in a great place for the sunsets. And one of the things that we're constantly afflicted by is our lack of ability to document the sunsets. (laughs) No sunset in any photo has ever justice. But but nonetheless, we all flood out onto the back porch and take fake pictures. We We take pictures of it just like it feels like we have to. So the fields right now are like a deep chocolate brown with patches of white snow left, and really looks like the Appaloosa. Remember, horse, you know yeah, what I'm I was saying? gonna say. Remember in the '90s when there was that one artist that every dentist office had like hardcover books out for you to peruse mm. in the waiting room. There and were definitely the the horses. It was those hidden photos in landscapes, and they were always horses hidden in landscapes. That's what Were this they one, yeah. hidden photos? Yes. It was this painter who, if you like crossed your eyes, that it would, would be like a wolf head in a cliff or something. Yeah, yeah I think suddenly, I know what we're talking just, about You now. just had to like look past it and you would suddenly yeah. you see. You do kind of feel like that's, that's what happen this is. Here. Actually, have you seen The Sleeping Chief? Uh huh. Down in yeah, Lapway? That's well, one on the, the way to Lapway? Yeah, that's yeah. one of those ones that. Even though I know it is there, mm-hmm. I'm always like, somewhere right around here is the sleeping chief. And you're like, don't see it. Don't see it. And then sometimes, all of a sudden, oh, yeah. you're like, wow, that looks like a sleeping chief. <laughs> it's when you're right across from the casino. Yeah, but but you have to have the right <laughs> angle. If you have to be coming at it from the right direction. Go and stand in the parking lot of the, of the casino, and you'll be able to see the if, sleeping if, chief. And, and chief. let me assure my listeners... Our loyal listeners that I'm not usually in the casino parking lot. <laughs> in fact, I've never no. been in that casino's parking I, lot. I have, actually, because there's a gas station right there. And oh, Becca hangs out at the casino. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. on the way to track meets yeah. that we yeah. witness that. But it is beautiful. It, it is, is like cool. It is a really cool thing. But this right now, we have Appaloosa horses are native to here. And Interesting this looks fact, like they're named Appa- because the Appaloosa, and we're in the Palouse. The Palouse. They're of the, the Palouse. Appaloosa horse, horses are There's even from here. the Appaloosa Horse Club Museum. Museum. I haven't been there since it's I went the one, in second grade or something, <laughs> but it's here. It's the one and only museum that we have to offer. No, we used to have a Pimental Museum. It's now subsumed, I think, in the Smokey the Bear Museum. <laughs> I don't think there there is no Smokey the Bear. That became the habitat for humanity. <laughs> uh, cast oh, off furniture. So area. much for art. <laughs> no, yeah, there it went. Our Smokey the Bear Museum died a difficult death. <laughs> the Pea and Lentil Museum. I took a friend there once back in the day because... She came to visit, and she was like, I want to see all your museums. And I was like, no, we don't have those. And she was like, no, you do. I want to see your museums. I'm like, legit, we don't have any. And you she lied. was like, show me your museums. So I was like, all right, fine, you asked for it. So we went to the Appaloosa Horse Club. Mm. We went to the Pea and Lentil Museum, which I think might have been just a part of the Appaloosa Horse Club. It was I sort think of, it might be there. I, I don't think know. it was a corner display in the Appaloosa Horse yeah. Club. It was a sort of a spinny rack that contained yeah. split pea soup mixes. Let me tell you. Let me. Oh. <laughs> and then Smokey the Bear. We did that too. But Smokey the Bear was not in the same location. It, was a, it would have been a small living room. So I will tell you that the Pea and Lentil Museum portion of that reminded <laughs> reminded me of a book I just read. And Luke's going to be really tired of me talking about this okay. book I just read. All right. It is but the, Luke's not here. Ah, phew, and he doesn't listen to the podcast either, so, <laughs> so lucky for him. You can cut okay, loose. it is a book by Bess Streeter Aldridge okay. that Grandma Bessie loved called A Lantern in Her Hand. Oh, And yeah. I read it in high school sometime because she loved it. Yeah. And I remember just being like, this <laughs> is the pits. Like, <laughs> this book. Yeah. Is not what I want to talk about right now. Yeah. And my recollection of it was sort of woman getting older, winding a clock up all the time. Like, <laughs> like that. This is a woman yeah. with a clock in Nebraska. 
and sure. everything is sad and depressing and yeah. whizzing by. You know, yeah. you're like, yeah. I'm not sure that I want to read this book ever again. And I think at the time I just kind of was like, yeah, I don't know yeah. why anyone liked that book. But it has been a thing in the back of my mind that I'm like, I should revisit okay. that. I think the only other best Streeter Eldridge book I have read is The Cutters. Okay. And I... Do you remember that one? We had no, the Cutters? I don't yeah, know. you do. I don't. We had it when we were young, so I... Well, I probably read it. I just said sure it's ringing a bell. Well, whatever the case, I think she's a great writer. But Update she is a great... Update on the sunset. Yeah, it's getting a little hotter. Getting a little better. Amazing. So, um... I think she's a good writer, but she's the kind of good writer that you do not so much notice her writing. Like, you okay, are just reading. Sure. It's not, she's not a writer with a lot of fanfare. Okay. And this particular book is written in sort of overwhelming simplicity that she doesn't say the things that she's doing in this book. But let me tell you, turns out if you're 41 and a mother <laughs> and you're reading this book, you have all the different feels about this yeah. book and maybe i understand why grandma enjoyed this, this book but one of the things that i loved about it like what i i really think is beautiful and she does a really impressive job okay. is sort of capturing the fleetingness of life like the fleeting nature of what you're trying to do and like age and okay. but both the beauty and the bittersweetness of mm-hmm. how, like, because this is a story of someone who goes to homestead in Nebraska. Yeah. So, but when they go off as young people to homestead in Nebraska, they were, like, optimistic. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, in a few, like, basically, we'll go, we'll have land, soon we'll be able to buy a nicer thing. Like, basically, like, we're doing a short period of hardship yeah. But they the expectation was sort of like mm-hmm. soon you'll be able to paint again or yeah. you'll be able to get voice lessons and yeah. soon you know like like the cities are coming along in Nebraska. But then Nebraska just kicks their butt for many years running, yeah. you know, and they don't those things do not manifest sure. quickly. But they do manifest. They just manifest in time for their children. Meaning, like, it's her daughters who get music lessons. And it is her daughters who... And But the part that's very bittersweet is the part where all the things she sacrifices in love for her children and her family and what we're trying to do here. That the children don't even understand that it was ever a thing she would have wanted. Oh, sure. Like, to them, she's just the super person who always just wanted to pluck chickens. pioneer. Yeah, like she yeah. just never wanted to do anything else. And it's bittersweet also because it's sad because it's not a, it's not like a depressing book. It's just that it's a sad it's sad because there's not a lot of there's not a there is faith in it but not as much as there should be to make it sure. not you know what I'm like yeah. like it's sadder that you have children who do not understand what mm-hmm. you were doing it for like that's yeah. that's sad but all this is to say that it was making me think of something and I connected it with a different thought which is Luke and I were talking about being generous and he said he's like I think he's like I'm sure that that's the same word origin as generations oh and I went and looked at it and of course it is Hmm. That that generations be that it's to generate something, generating yeah. wealth or to yeah. or children, yeah. but being generous is actually like. And I was just thinking those That's two things, those yeah. two things, sort of together, to me, like this open-handed, like living for something that will be beyond you. Like I won't, yeah, I will not actually reap this. Like, and I don't need to want to right. like I need to actually want future generations uh-huh. I want to be the kind of generous that reaches way past yeah that's great way past like this Christmas where I'm going to be generous or this whatever but all the way just pouring into people and I think part of what's so sweet about that book is how much they were like the people who wanted the they wanted Nebraska to be something it wasn't just themselves it's like they wanted the towns and the state and the and they believed in this place that they could do it It it's just way beyond just those people you know like like it was so it was like the generosity of a life just 
poured out. Right. Anyways, it was really good. Also, I That's think the fun. book is spectacular at making you feel what it would be like to be old. Because yeah. you follow this woman. Okay. The book opens with her dying in her 80s. So okay. it opens with her death and then rewinds to, like, the memories hmm. of her life. And then it closes with her death. It's like it's yeah. like this whole thing. But the, what it does is because you're tracking her from the time she's a young girl. It's very well done. Like, because she's a young girl and you know all of the things that have happened that were important to her so that by the time she's an old woman she's she's kind of living in two worlds she's living like she's not she doesn't understand her grandchildren she Mm. doesn't understand the world she doesn't and so she's saying like disjointed things that nobody knows what she's saying but you actually understand totally why she yeah like you're like and I think that that's just super it is really a thing to make you think of what it must be like yeah. To be elderly, where like maybe you're not actually saying things that are that non sequitur, like you just couldn't actually. <laughs> Nobody get, else has the context. You, they don't have the context, and you couldn't, you could not get it all out there to give it to them, right? Because you don't have the breath or the energy, sure. but you weren't, you haven't totally lost it either. You're just sort of. Yeah. What I'm saying is, it's actually a pretty emotional read. I I'm think what you y'all, have just described. Is a book that I will pass by and not read. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought it was... I actually thought it was a very edifying read. But at the same time, I'm not sure that I would read it for pleasure. Like, I think I have thought about it more than most books you read. Like, where you sure. read a book and you yeah. usually move on. But this one I keep thinking about because I keep being like, oh, and then, you know, like you have yeah. ongoing yeah. thoughts about it. Anyways. Are you just... I'm sorry about the sunset. Everyone, you can't see it, but it is a big shizam. As we've already talked about, I'll just quick snap a photo <laughs> for you and you'll totally understand. You won't, you won't get it. It's like... Oh, that guy will. It'll be great. I'll, I'll get this picture, including your dirty windshield and please, my if you ugly, dirty cars ahead. And... Oh, it's going to be great. Everyone's going to love it. I'm just, awesome. they'll hire me. We'll see if we can make a calendar. Oh <laughs> it's awful. It looks like a little bleak. It's a little it's like smudge, a, smudge. It, a little smudge a on the horizon. smudge of yeah. medium, you know, but it's actually spectacular. So, so all this that I was trying to say is not actually to be depressing, but I do think that the bigger thought about the generosity of generational thinking yeah. is actually very cool. I love that. That's, That's really the thing cool. that makes me think like to be truly generous with your life is to be handing things on to the next people. Right. Like, and to not be sad about that. Like to actually be. Well, there's a way of sitting poignantly gazing at the little thing in your hand that you're about to hand mm-hmm. over, which is stupid. You should be more concerned with generating the stuff that you're going to hand off. You know, like, Mm -hmm. you can get really fascinated with the handoff rather than, (laughs) let me give you something to to have, you know. Yeah. Like, work hard and get it done now. Well, I already told you that I, like, booked and I ordered a bunch of apple trees and stuff. I think you told me, but I don't think you told so, the listening yeah, world. So, yeah, everyone brace yourselves for me not knowing what I'm doing, but having way too many things that need to be planted <laughs> on our property. I'm like, I'm going to, I don't know what Rachel, I'm doing. I, but, I, but I'm doing it because I'm like, yeah. I need to do it. Well, the reality is, I don't even know what size some of these trees are. But, but my point is that I'm not going to have a huge fruit-bearing orchard. No. In the same time period when I am a mother of a bunch of hungry small children at home, we're making 120,000 quarts of applesauce is actually just meeting the needs of who's in your house. So that would be an example of something that is like you're looking beyond your own. It's like this is a thing that would have blessed me before and I hope it will be a blessing to my children and to people right. like I'm I want it to be a blessing and I know I'll enjoy it I'm not trying to be like yeah. on my deathbed right now but what I'm telling you is that 
there it genuinely is a closure of some windows in your life. Like oh, by yeah. the time you're 40, you're you're done with certain well, you opportunities. By some high school dances you could attend. Uh, dang it. Yeah, but you're you're <laughs> genuinely past some things. And yeah. but that doesn't mean that you're past giving but them. I'm going to just tell you that some years it hits me harder than others, but Every time it hits, it hits right now. It's my annual appointment. Oh, with fantasy gardening? Yes. <laughs> but have you read Truck? So have you read bad. Truck a Love Story? No. Oh, you haven't? No. Baga. Read you it now. must read he it oh, is my gosh. so so funny on that point like oh, he is so like, good at the like it's hitting it's like i watched i was flat out in bed for two days this week with a fever like just feeling like you're at death's door it's not all right guys it, i'll be bidding farewell so what am i doing the whole time while i'm lying there is i'm watching videos on how to prune roses <laughs> And how to prune pear trees. And I'm like, right, I'm ready. As soon as I felt better, I'm like, I'm off, everyone. I'm taking my clippers and I'm off. But except for that, it's buried under mountains of snow. And all the roses are splat under a drift. And the the pear tree, I went out there and I'm like, ooh, don't quite remember how that pruning video went. I'm going to have to rewatch it. (laughs) But... It's just, it's a thing. Like, I've I've ordered some seeds. I've ordered uh, some yeah. root trainers from my sweet pea seeds. I'm like, I'm, I'm there. Except for that it's February. It's not even February. It's January. And there's piles of snow. And there's really nothing I can do about it. And I don't know why it hits so hard right now. But it does. Yeah, because the, I know why. Because, first of all, it's thawing gently. Mm-hmm. Then it is optimistic. Like the snowdrops are coming up in mom's yard. Are they? Oh no yeah. Way. Oh yeah, they are. They're coming up. Really? Mm-hmm. See, I you're need not. To go you're look. not premature at all. No. The snowdrops. But I don't even. Uh, we have what a I lot love of about snowdrops. the snowdrops is that they're major optimists, but they're yeah. also right. Yeah, they are. They they are premature, but they're not wrong. They they do it, and and it's good. I, I think I think the first time this ever hit me. In a, in a distinctive form was, I don't know, years ago when I read, I was, I was sick at home again, flat out in bed, missing school. I think I had strep throat this time. And I read Down the Garden Path by Beverly Nichols, which I recommend. Despite mm-hmm. the fact that the man is lost and sad, he is an unbelievably good writer. And I read that book, and it was just like, oh, dear. I'm going to need to plant all the things. Yeah. And I remember it was like, it was January. It was terrible. It was just, you know, you can't do anything except for think about what it will be like in the spring. Mm-hmm. You know. I anyway. Lo- I think that It's hard. This year is hard. I want to buy Down the Garden Path, but it... Oh, you can get it on Kindle. No? No, you yeah, cannot. Yeah, you can. I have it on Kindle. Really? Yeah. All I see is my option of $101. I started reading it this week again on Kindle. Um, it's just, I, I feel like the man has a way, he has a way with words. Yeah. Well, I that's fun. I think that this is why I always, in January, it's a time of the great eye-opening for me. It's like... We take out our cataracts of holiday mm-hmm. preparations and we yeah. see our house with new eyes oh and word. we go, I know. oh my word. Now yeah. I'm feeling personally very stoked about a discovery. So for those of you who don't know about my house, we built our house maybe three years ago. And one of the things that we did not pay for at the time was a garage because money is one of the real reasons that we didn't do that. Small deeds. But also we were like, let's just get the house. You know, we'll come back to the garage. But because of that, there's always this when we build the garage. Yeah. The the things, the problems I'm going to solve when we build the garage yeah. are Where are you gonna put it? Here. Right where we're sitting right now. Well, that way. Like where the cars are. Yeah, okay. Cause that window in the dining room mm-hmm. those are the size of doors so that we could make 
that a door to a mudroom hall to the oh. garage. So that will be the mudroom entrance to the house. Oh, interesting. Maybe. I say that, but that was the theory. But okay. who knows when we actually get right. to it if that's what we do. But that's the theory. Okay. And anyways, the funny part of all this is that I keep thinking of things like... I wonder if we should put a root cellar in yeah. when we put in the Probably. garage. Probably. Maybe we need a root cellar. I wonder yeah. if we're going to have to make sure we have room. a loft <laughs> over the garage An when we get to the garage. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, let's let's do a dug-in garage for lawn implements on the other side of the house with a greenhouse yeah. on top of it. Basically, what you've just decided in your mind is to make St. Michael's Mount. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, look, should we get in really big? Should we get in really big into... Uh, outbuildings and accessories. Uh-huh. Like, should we have a yeah. pottery hut somewhere <laughs> on our property? This is this is how it happens. Maybe but we need the greenhouses. But this is this is big session houses. This is big news, Becca. I'm down wrestling in the storage room, which was a dark trial that had happened over the Christmas times because of mm-hmm. all the things coming in and out of the storage at yeah, that time. Of course. And I'm down there dealing with it, and I had pressure canned beans, um, garbanzo beans, and pinto okay. beans. All and right. up until this time, the things I was canning, I was putting on the shelves in the storage room, but they're up high, and it's actually not convenient because a kid can't go get them for you. And it's just turning uh, into like, yeah. I don't have anywhere near enough pressure canned garbanzo beans to warrant a root cellar. <laughs> But you haven't planted. But I have a dream. <laughs> I have a dream of my needs. Anyways. You haven't planted the, the um, orchard yet, Rachel. And you're going to need a place for all when those I get, apples. I know. I just, it's like stuff's going to happen. All so, the pears. So what did happen, though, is I was down in there when it hit me. Like, we have the storage room. And then that long hall that goes past the mechanical room. And none of it is finished. But that one yeah. hall, the wall is a bearing wall and it's two by sixes and it is we are just slapping little shelves in between it and the court jars fit in the wall so it's a unused hallway it's a root cellar that we already owned see the thing is i when i was in my probably for the right amount of court jars that i'll ever have (laughs) my binge of watching pruning videos i I was needing to cope with the pears because our our pear trees basically had so many pears, they did the splits and laid down on the floor. It was it was mm, terrible. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. We've got to get it under control. But um, so I'm watching about pears, and this guy as he's pruning away in his little tie-dyed shirt, he's talking about this particular variety, and he said they're actually not good at all when they're first picked. And he's like, but they're really good when you put them in the root cellar for a few months. And he's pruning them, like, in January. And he's like, and now they're just starting to come into their own. Like, they are being really delicious now. And so whatever that variety is, if you pick them in the fall and then store them, then in the sort of winter, that's when you're getting fresh pears. I just don't know how we're supposed to remember all this stuff at one time. That's my feeling. I'm like, wait. One of the blueberry bushes I planted, it said on the tag, but which one was it? And what am I going to do to it? And how will I ever find out well, again? That's what I was doing with my roses. Because like, I was like, but wait, you prune a shrub rose different than a rambler, different than a climber. Different yeah, than, and there's no hope and, for and us. And what's this thing? And we're like, nobody knows who planted it, but we think it died and went back to its wild root. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool, so we don't mind it, but we're not really sure what it is or... Yeah, what to do with it, it's but it's difficult. growing up into the pear tree right now, and so like I, I have to. I, I do, have I do have a it. little. I have not had a victory of gardening Mm-mm. yet at my house. Me neither. But I want you guys to know this because this, there's a lot. This is just like how I've said I could write the world's most boring book yeah, about all the crafting. spiritual, all the spiritual yeah. lessons you learn in crafting. Right. Well, gardening has a bunch of its so own. So many, and one of the ones that I found to be a real uh, bug in which I was mired for okay. some time was the, like, this is a ton of obstacles. Like, it's windy, and it is uh, nobody... Like, the hardscaping is not done here. The, like, what are we actually sure. trying to do? And, like, yeah. there were just a lot of things that made me think, well, but I can't. Because I couldn't do, like, a hanging basket 
up here. It would get beaten to death. Like, you don't, there's no, Yeah. I just kind of would feel like, I guess, there was nothing to do. But then we, I planted tomatoes and stuff, other things, in a raised bed down on the patio that we got. And they did great. Like, everything was having a good time down there. And, like, I'm sure a few things, um, uh, maybe a few times, I like that I just got a, she's texting. Yeah, I'm sorry. Don't mind her. She's going to handle some correspondence. I just got, uh. Then she'll be back to us about the tomatoes. Yeah, no, I just am texting the people in the house. The word on the street is that there's some coyotes really close to our house and did not let the puppy out. Mm. That's, um, because the coyotes. I almost hit a coyote driving the other day. Um, anyways, it's not the time to release, um, the puppy out to go to the bathroom. And run away from me again, remember? Right. Right when Becca pulled up, I my puppy is trying out the disobedient dog lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> and she was getting ready to just head off. <laughs> and I had to chase her and pin her down in the snow. Carry her back in. Anyways, sorry for that little interruption. I was going to say that the obstacles kept me from doing something that of course there was going to be things that weren't going to thrive. Like, of course I'm going to plant some things and they'll die and they won't thrive and whatever. But other things I realized it was a big fat, stupid excuse pants that kept me from doing it because they're, they're actually like a lot of things could grow just fine there. And I think that I'm using this as a spiritual metaphor for a lot of you who I know are listeners or in places where you're like, but my church is not great and the schooling options are not good and my family is not Mm -hmm. as godly as I would like them to be. So there's no use me trying to build generational faithfulness right here or trying to really plant things or do things that will be fruitful because I have so many obstacles and like I'm not arguing that we ha- all have our different kinds of obstacles but having those obstacles does not actually it means that that's the thing you're going to have to deal with when you're doing it but it doesn't mean you don't do it well that's the old analogy of Michelangelo's David was that big hunk of marble that had a flaw so nobody would work with it and then look what he did so oh, very flawed. it's like, and, and that's the thing. I feel like I said this may be an even exile. I'm not sure, but it's, if anyone with very marginal amounts of creativity or taste was given an unlimited budget and a perfect room to decorate, well, they'll probably make something pretty. You'd have to really work to make something bad. I mean, it's like, you know, it wouldn't take very much if you don't have constraints, Mm -hmm. To make something pretty. But if you are given a very weird little room that has odd lighting and asymmetrical windows and a strange traffic flow. Right. And then somebody makes something beautiful there. It's going to have so much more personality and interest. If you Mm -hmm. have the unlimited budget. Like it has a whole story. If you have an unlimited budget and a perfect room, it will look like a showroom and that's it. It will not have that interesting flair. But it takes the actual talent and work and creativity to make something in a, in a curious mm-hmm. space. And when you have that creativity at work, it's like it comes alive in a way that it just doesn't in a showroom. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, there's nothing there that's personal or unique or, you know, it's just mm-hmm. very oh, yeah. bland. And yes, and that's why there's, isn't it Anna Edwards who says it's a struggle? Yes, but it's all some about of the, the struggle, struggle how what, the struggle is what makes something so beautiful. Mm-hmm. That yes, and, it's and, like and you don't want to eliminate all the struggle because that's the thing that makes it interesting, interesting, and, fun. and well, and to switch to vineyards. I remember when we were first time we went to Walla Walla, everybody was talking about this one winery that came to Walla Walla in I don't know the 80s or something and it was some French guy and he brought he bought this land down by the river that everybody thought he was nuts because it's 
rock. It's just plain rock. Mm-hmm. And it's these big river rocks, and he put his vineyards there, and now that's the real sought-after wine. But mm-hmm. it's because when you're growing vines in the rocks, they have to send their roots really deep to get the nutrients, mm-hmm. and it just makes for this really yeah they work beautiful hard. wine. And if you know if your vines are living in the lap of luxury and they don't have to struggle again, mm-hmm. it's the struggle that makes the sweetness. And I think that because if they don't struggle, they put a lot. They tend to put a lot more. They put energy into their leaves and not into their fruit. And when they are in the, when they are in more of a crisis mode, they focus on the fruit. I know this from I think it was the shepherds, and I'm probably saying something weird, but they do it with the, they do it with grapevines where they like cut part of the stem there's a way in which they hinder it to make them focus on fruit production which is funny because i think we tend to think if we have a bunch of difficult circumstances that's the time we don't need to worry about well but it's kind of like god must not love us look at those other people who are over there having a perfect time and it's like but if you think about it this other way it's like where are you going to plant the vines that you want the best wine? It's like God wants the best fruit from you. And sometimes those obstacles, those tightening of circumstances or that like cancer or really difficult circumstances is, is God saying, here's where I want you to focus entirely on fruit and on, on being productive and on being yeah. and like not get caught up in just sort of the casual life of popping out new leaves all the time, but said yeah. something really fruitful. Yeah. And so instead of, you know, reading your difficult circumstances as you must be third rate in God's eyes, right? Read it as maybe God is training me for really sweet mm-hmm. fruit. Yeah, well, not just maybe. He is. You know that what God wants from each of his people True. is a very specific fruit. But and you a very... could also refrain from producing any. Yes, you ought to. <laughs> you ought to lean into that. But it's. Right. But how could you? We have clear scripture about all things work together for good yeah. for those who love him. And I think, okay, so here's something else I was thinking about. This is just a super practical, random thing because... Luke and I were talking so much about this generations and generosity concept. And I was thinking, you know how dad has said for a long time, wherever you are, if you're the person who's like, this church is not friendly enough to new people. Yeah. That that means that you have the eyeballs to notice something that maybe that means you're the one who was called to, to be do friendly it. To new people. Like if you notice all the new people no one's talking to, maybe that's because you're uniquely gifted at that and you should throw yourself into it and I was thinking about something that in this like new year how many people are thinking of like things you'd like to learn how to do or things you want to try or whatever thinking a fun framework would be to think of it in terms of what could I do that would be tangibly like something that I could learn to do that would improve the lives of other people not just not not just like I learned to do a thing, sure. but what could I do that can be shared with people, that can be okay. experienced by other people, that can be, fill a void yeah. in our community, that can do something? Because there's probably a lot of churches where, I don't know, I'm gonna, now I'm going to be really bad of thinking of examples, but there's probably a lot of churches where, say, nobody in the church makes beautiful cakes. Nobody knows how to, but if you if you decided I'm going to learn to do this sure. in a way that can bless other people, or nobody in the church knows how to make bread, but you could learn to make bread and gift it to people and tangibly improve the. Okay. I'm just thinking in the terms of generosity, like how could you improve work on self improvement that is for other that is yeah. geared towards blessing other people, not. Self-improvement for self-improvement alone. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. I like Christian community is a really interesting The one thing, thing. you have to be ready for, though, is let's People say... People might not like it. Well, well, okay, that's one thing. But, I mean, let's say that you're in a community where nobody bakes beautiful cakes, and so you decide, I'll be the person who does it. 
and then you really put a lot of work in and you start getting good at it, you need to be ready for 16 people to be like, that's so awesome. I want to learn how mm. to do that mm -hmm. too. And then they learn to do beautiful cakes. And then and they're then, better than you. And then some of them get better than you. <laughs> and suddenly you're not the person who is the distinct totally. But I baker. think I think but there was just a be fundamentally ready. like okay, like the secret recipe lifestyle. We've talked about this before. But when it used to be that way, that was not. I don't think that that was a real healthy. That was not a communal community building kingdom building energy that was a competition of some kind you know but i think also though to be fair i think that that is a competition that can develop when you have a lot of accomplished women yeah, in yeah, the same sure. place i'm not trying to make a weird yeah. spiritual judgment on everyone in that circumstance but i'm saying i don't think we're in that circumstance right now at all because of how badly the domestic homemaking housekeeping ball got dropped yep that right now like sure if you start a fine cheese production you do not need to show everyone your secret <laughs> cheese making recipes because sure. you might be actually trying to do something but if it's on the level of like I've learned how to do something and someone else wants to learn too. Yeah. You be so open-handed with that kind of thing because it does. We've talked about that all the time. It's the rising tide floats all the boats in a way that is that we want to all be contributing to general like better knowledge across everyone in the community mm -hmm. for how to lay a beautiful table, how to feed a lot of people, yeah. how to how to make good bread, how to make your home beautiful. Those are not things Mm -hmm. That are, we have, there's no room right now for competitive, like, not, well, besides the fact that that's just straight up ignoring Titus too. If you just, <laughs> if you decide that you don't want to teach people how to do. Yeah. Now I'm going to teach someone how to knit because I'm going to be the knitter. I'm the knitter. I'm the one what has that talent. Nobody yeah. else needs it. Well, and I, I do think. That you just need to be ready for it. Because you could feel like God has really called you to this. And I was actually saying this to one of my kids the other day. Because we were talking about. It seems like the way sanctification works. Is there are times when you have to learn a very specific lesson. Mm -hmm. And it involves you really laying something down. And yeah. saying I will take my hands off of it. And I will do the thing I need to do. And then you feel like alright. Lesson learned. Note to self. All right, mm -hmm. Lord, I did that. And then very often it will come back around and now the obedient thing is to pick it back up again. Mm -hmm. And that's the funny part is that like you felt like, no, no, no. I came to the conclusion that doing my hair is sinful mm -hmm. <laughs> or whatever it is. But then Maybe actually... Not. Maybe not sinful, but I would say there's so many categories of that. Like the time when you have to lay down your fitness. Yep. Because you're like, this does not honor God for me to be making this more important than my sure. husband's job and me caring for these yeah. children. And then there's a time when you're like, to honor the Lord, I need to be going on a run. Yeah. And that's the this. thing is that sometimes it can be, it, it's just sort of if you imagine, um, an artistic work, you know, where one side is getting sanded, but then it turns and then the other side gets, starts getting sanded. I think and it's actually, I, I know I've said this before, but pottery is like that because yeah. it's spinning. But in order to really shape pottery, you do it with exerting pressure in one point, uh -huh. but the whole thing is spinning all the time. Yep. And the reality is that God can shape our whole lives all the time by putting pressure on one point. And there's no such thing when you're spinning all the time, you're not done. You're not done until the potter yeah. is done. I just think you. that we very often, we take something that was a clear moment of guidance and sanctification of like, I need to lay down my my panic about organization and I need to be okay with going with the flow mm -hmm. and that's what godliness looks like 
but we, but then we absolutize it. And then we think every single person in every single circumstance needs to always go with the flow because that's what godliness is. And we don't realize that actually God was teaching you a very specific lesson. Uh-huh. And then in three years, weirdly, you're going to have to lay down your go with the flowness and you're going to have yeah. to decide, no, I need to, I need to actually be totally a lot more regimented. I totally think it's, and at then, least in my own life. As soon as you go there, then you're like, cycles. then you're like, the Lord wants every single person in every single circumstance to always be organized and regimented. And it's just, it's not true. It's like, yeah. we're all on our own journeys and I do think that the having think to lay that's things why down having to lay things down is universal also the principles behind why you're needing to do this because there are times when because my family was important to me this could not be my priority so yeah. and a good example of that for me was uh, right when I had the twins like there was, that was not a time. Like, my body had been through a real trip on yeah. those first four kids. And that was not the time. Like, I, we could not have, like, we were barely survivaling as it was. Luke was already coming home to stuff meatball sandwiches in my face at lunchtime to keep me alive <laughs> to nurse the babies. <laughs> Whatever was going on there, it was not a time of great focus. But... Luke was Luke was like carrying a ton. You know what I mean? Like like the way the way that he was helping and the way we were working really hard to try to just yeah. get through it at that time. It was a time that I had no doubt in my mind my responsibilities were very basic. I was caring for four very little kids. Yeah. And it was very intense. But it was not it was you know, fast forward a year and I start having major problems because the twins are now 25 pounds each and I am out of shape from having had them. And all of a sudden the focus and the priority and what I really needed to do to love my family was to get to the gym so that I could stand up straight the next day. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I needed, but it was such a, it was a real shifting and what would have been beyond selfish Initially. And just at one point yep. became very selfless yep. a year later. Like I'm having to do this for you yep. people. I'm doing this. And I think that the the issue is that the motivation was the same. Like, like the principles and the motivation for what I was doing was the same when I was not working out and when I was working out. Like the yep. principles were the same. And that is why principles are really, really the fundamentally important yep. thing. Like what is my duty? Oh, there is Derby out. Hmm. But Derby won't get eaten by a coyote. I don't think so. I think she would also be very more, I think she would be more aware of them. Yeah. She would notice them on the horizon. I would think, uh, anyways, what I was trying to say is the principles are very important and not the methods. And that's why you can't just be like, Oh, that is a godly woman. I will do everything she is doing. No. And that I won't have to actually think about it and talk to my husband and weigh what are the things that are my biggest priorities. And Also, principles are quite a lot fewer, more transcendent, mm-hmm. and more applicable in multiple situations. Not because trendy if diet you said, cookbooks. If you said, like, every Christian woman needs to crochet with minky yarn. Oh my heavenly day. <laughs> Where did you think of minky yarn? <laughs> did not uh, see that coming. No, no, but but you could get there. Or yeah. And uh-huh. and that is not a principle. That is not a principle no. at all. And and the principle is... is loving your household taking care of your children, being productive, raising your children in the Lord. Right. And those are things that submitting to your may husband may or may not come out in minky yarn. Let's prefer to not. But the thing is, <laughs> I think, you know, if I could talk to you about things you have to lay down, things you have to pick up. I think we can, like, I think it's clear. You have to learn to crochet in minky yarn. The Lord wants it from you, but, Becca. But there are times when the very same activity could be obedient or disobedient, but it all depends on context and, and mm-hmm. how it's aimed. Like there are things that at one time in your life might be horribly self-centered, 
but at another time in your life are really generous and giving. Right. And that's actually makes all the difference in the world mm-hmm. is not exactly the thing itself, but what it's motivated well, we've by. Talked, and we've talked about this before with like fitness goals or whatever. How you are motivating yourself is actually very relevant because oh, that's, the, that's the heart of what principle are you honoring. Yes. Right? And so if, you, if you're like, I want to be fit so I can honor God and work hard and be a blessing to my family, then that's totally different than I'm hoping to be hot. Yeah. Because what, like, what principle are you honoring there? You're honoring I would like attention, which yeah. is not a good principle. If it's all about my sweet husband who's put up with a lot of years of yeah, it's postpartum. Like, I was thinking he would enjoy it <laughs> if I was. That's one thing. But if it's like, and then. I will have everyone liking. By the time I go to my high school reunion, I will shock them on Instagram. Yeah, I'm going to show them how great I look in a minute. Well, I think in a sense, it's like imagine you're living in Old Testament Israel and you decide to offer a sacrifice. So you pick the amazing unblemished lamb, whatever, and you're going to offer it as a sacrifice. Which altar you put it on? makes a pertinent. big big difference pertinent and to you, the can, details. you cannot say but she's got a lamb and binds even a little bit bigger and more perfect it's like well hers is on the right altar uh-huh. and yours is on the altar to bail and that's relevant and that's just the, and like the widows <laughs> the widows mites being given freely are a big deal yeah, yeah. a big dealio right. and the reality is that who is it being offered up to? And and I think people, Christians, have the tendency to act delusionally like it cannot be known what it's being offered up to. Oh, right. It's like, like, you saw me... You don't know that like, I was doing that. You saw me walking up the street to the Temple of Baal. You saw me go through the doors and you saw me put it on the altar. You I don't know why. You saw me post a status live <laughs> from the Temple of Baal. But what you don't know is that I'm not I, worshiping God in my heart. I don't think that you can assume... Yeah, you can't know. I think know. that you are, you are unfairly judging me. And yeah. It's like, no, you know what? It's there's a lot of ambient, circumstantial yeah. detail that means that everybody sees that you're doing this because you're vain. And if you're doing it because you're vain, then it's a sin. <laughs> and people are and people are right to be looking at you out of the corner of their eye, going, <laughs> not sure, but, and but not who, sure it's good. Who is this altar directed towards? is a very good way of assessing whether or not your actions are uh, the the right kind or the wrong kind. Because if it's like, are you making all of these meals because you want to honor God and give to your family, then you know what altar that's on. If you're making all these meals because it's all aimed at how many Instagram likes you can get, one that's of, a different one of the altar. things, and one of the things that we always know when we're offering something with open hands to God, is that when you're doing that, the open hands are important because God gives to you and He takes things from you. And sometimes when you're like, "Lord, I want to glorify you with this," He gives you uh, no thanks. Like, yeah. like sometimes God directs you in the sense of yeah. like, that's not what I want. Like, like yeah. this is not what I'm looking for from you. And I think if you're truly offering it, it's the open hands. Like the spirit is in that because there's yeah. a major vulnerability in freely offering it to God and in being like, yeah. Lord, in this hospitality, please use it as you will. Yeah. Right. Well, if something, I mean, like there's a real vulnerability in there. Like when you, you are really submitting to what God will do with something and part of that is being willing to learn from that. Like, learning in this exchange. And that's not often how it is with idolatrous offerings. Yeah. You have determined beforehand what you want to offer that way. Yeah. And you will not tolerate other... You know, like, yeah. the the spirit does not lead in those. <laughs> okay, I have to go to the bathroom. So we've got to wrap this episode up. <laughs> I'll wrap it up. I'm like, well, everyone. We got, I'm sorry. Overshare. Now, overshare. Now you know. Do we have any tips? Becca, tip. 
tip tip from you. You know, I feel like I do, but as you can see, it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> clever. I had a tip. Read difficult, laborious, bittersweet novels about no. Nebraska homesteaders. My tip is to not do that. I think someone maybe said, and I'm, I think it was about my Antonia that they said Nebraska is a character in the book, yeah. but uh, is true of, of this one. I will yeah. say, actually, let me read to you. The Catholic poet is what this book was named for. Okay. And it is sweet. All I'm right. just not saying it. I'm What I'm trying to tell you guys is... I don't know what I'm trying to tell you if you really want to read this book or not. However, it... Okay. This is the poem. Joyce Kilmer. Okay. This is where the title comes from. Because the road was steep and long and... Through a dark and lonely land, God set upon my lips a song and put a lantern in my hand. Oh, yeah, that's nice. It's good. Um, really, I like I'm really should probably read a Woodhouse um, after this. I got myself a well, little down in the heaviness of I the pioneering say, spirit. Um, <laughs> I just, the thing is, is, is I, now that Rachel's read you an excerpt from, um, from her book, I'll read you an excerpt that is from mine. clearly reading more optimistic books. Yeah. <laughs> However, my father intervened. One can't be whimsical for long when my father is about. A fact for which the reader should be duly grateful, or I would come to every chapter trailing clouds of whimsicality. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I gotta get that on it's Kindle good. so I can read it's it. It's good. Read All it right, on guys. Kindle. Until next well, time. Bye. Fare thee well. <laughs>